Gracious Lord, we ask that you would teach us your ways, your rhythms of grace, that you would help us to know more of your truth, that you would help us to know, experience, and share more of your love in the world. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome. I want to begin this morning by telling a story that took place long ago in the um, 1970s on a cold, dark, moonless night about 80 miles northwest of Amarillo, Texas at 7,000 feet in a six-seater private aviation airplane. At about that moment, the pilot turned back to the passengers and said, we have an emergency. We're going to be having to return to Amarillo to make an emergency landing. In the back seat, there was a middle-aged woman and some of her children, ages 9 and 13, and there was lots of stress, I'm told, taking place there. And uh, the plane did a big bank and turned back around towards Amarillo, and as it got closer, the stress in the back went up because the plane started porpoising, going up and down as the pilot dealt with things going on. And later, the children in the back would talk about how palpable the fear was in the back, how they felt like they were moments away from possibly their death. Happily, the whole story ended with a safe landing, but the children went on to say that that was a moment of fear they would never forget. I know because I was one of them. Fear is really powerful. Fear can put us on our knees quickly, praying about things. Fear can make us motionless or it can make us hyper in dealing with whatever the situation that's going on. But it oftentimes can immobilize us or compromise us in what we're doing. It should probably be no surprise then that the most common command in the Bible is not to pray, it's not to read Scripture, it's not to worship. The most common command in the Bible is do not fear. And Jesus says it in our gospel lesson today three different times, do not fear. And that's what I want to look at this morning as we look at that passage from Matthew. Because at the end of the day, we don't want fear to take away from us the ability to engage in living out the gospel fully in our lives. Jesus didn't want it for his followers then, and he doesn't want it for us today. And that's where we're going to head and talk about um, this morning I want to begin by setting a little bit of context for this passage that we read from Matthew 10. Starting back looking at Matthew 9, right at the end of Matthew 9, we've been reading this over the last number of weeks. Matthew 9 sort of ends with Jesus talking about how the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And then we roll into chapter 10, and chapter 10 is known as Jesus' sermon on mission. And at the very start of it, He is commissioning, giving authority, and giving power to the twelve apostles to not only proclaim the gospel, but to go out and cure and heal the sick. And He gives them this mission, go out, do that. Proclaim the good news, the kingdom of heaven is near, and cure the sick, and do all these different things. And He sends them out the door. And before He does that, though, Right before our passage today, he goes into all these different kinds of aspects of persecution that they're going to experience and face as they go out. 
And to be for sure, Jesus has sent them out on some pretty constrained terms. Travel lightly, don't carry all these provisions, don't waste your time in all these places. He's sending them out that way, but He's also telling them when you go, it's not going to be easy. You're going to bump up against stuff. You're going to face stuff that will provoke fear. You're going to face persecution. And Jesus starts our passage today by saying, look, You've seen what's happened to me, I think, and you're certainly going to see it later. I think he knows. But he's saying, you, the student, are not going to have it better than me, the teacher. You are going to face emotional and physical violence, and I want you to be ready. And so Jesus is going to begin to speak into this. Why does he say all that? Why does he, why does he mention all these bad things that are going to happen? Well, I think as Jesus begins to address this, it's the very first step of dealing with fear. He's going to name it and begin to talk about maybe why it's happening. And it's in this context that Jesus tells them, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. He's going to say it three different times. Do not be afraid. And he's telling them as I'm sending you out to preach and do all this stuff for the lost sheep of Israel, I want you to go with your, your eyes wide open about what you're going to see and about what you're going to experience in all of this, and I want you to begin to understand and appreciate and deal with the fear that's going to come with it. And I think Jesus begins to build a case for how to handle the fear for His followers. And the first thing he says is, maybe it's kind of surprising, but he begins to talk about the need to just flat out proclaim it, the good news in this environment. This is what he says in verses 26 and 27. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered, and nothing secret that will not become known. What I say to you in the dark, tell in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim from the rooftops. Jesus is telling them that the very first thing for engaging fear, maybe the greatest tool, the greatest weapon for dealing with these authorities, these powers, is simply to present the good news. Put it out there. Put it out there. And to know that whatever evil words and whatever evil actions take place, the day is coming when all that's going to be revealed, all that's going to be made clear. And for now, know that and just put it out there. Put the good, put it out there. That's the first thing that Jesus says. Speak light into the darkness. And then he continues. Jesus continues with something I think, at least for me, is surprising. In verse 28, he says, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus is saying, look, that maybe what's implicit in this is the greatest weapon held by these authorities that want to hold on to where they are is the fear of death. And Jesus is saying, set aside the fear of just death to your body. That's not the real fear. The real fear is the one who can harm both your body and your whole being. 
your soul, the whole thing. And you know, so that's what the passage says. What does it mean? People look at it different ways. Some theologians I love and, and respect. Some people like uh, N.T. Wright will say Jesus is referencing evil at that moment. But there are loads of other scholars and saints and people who read that passage and, says, and say what it's really saying is God is the one who holds the power over your whole person, your body and your soul. So don't fear anybody that can only hurt your body. It's only the whole person, the body and the soul, and the only person who holds that is God. And I know lots of people who found incredible um, courage to face down fear once they realize, I've got God on my side. I have nothing to worry about. Like, I know the whole picture. I know where this is going. I know who God is. I know I'm walking with Him. They can kill me, but so what? There's a bigger purpose and a bigger picture. And I feel like that's what God is wanting to say. Look, the only person who can give you the ultimate fear is God. And it's kind of a strange thing because he's, he's saying, in a sense, fear me, if we're right about how that's interpreted. It, um, John Wesley, who started the Methodist Church, talks about this in his journal when he reads that passage. He says it's remarkable that our Lord commands those who love God still to fear Him, even on this account under this notion. This idea that God is ultimately saying, don't fear what's going to happen to your body. Don't fear these persecutions or things that can come at you in this life. The only thing you need to fear is God, and actually God loves you, is full of love and mercy. And that's where Jesus turns next. Because Jesus then tells this passage that ultimately I think is reflecting how God is different than these powers that, we, that there may be worrying about. How God cares even about the sparrow that costs like a penny in the marketplace. He cares so much more about you, his followers, about you, the disciples, that he even knows the number of hairs on your head and counts all those. He loves you, knows you, cares about every detail. I think that's one of the reasons why we don't, should never have hesitation in coming to God, but even the, the things we think are little in our lives. The little, I mean, the things that sometimes people want to say, should I pray about my work or my smaller decisions? What do I do in this situation in work, whatever else, or school or whatever it is? Jesus is telling us God knows even the hairs on your head. He cares that much. He cares about every detail of your life. And so we bring it to God. Jesus is saying, these dark powers exist. This kind of evil exists. You're going to face it. But we're not going to live it. We're not going to go into mission underneath the force of these threats or, the, or these kinds of situations. Because the only real power that matters, that holds authority over your whole being is God, and God is full of love and mercy and care about every part about you. And so, we take that on board as we head out into mission. And Jesus goes on from there to, to hit them. These are like a lots of different little uh, beads that are put together, the little sayings that he, he's stringing together. 
The next one he puts together is to say, look, this kind of, he's owning these things that happen, but the next division that can happen at times is right within the family. These divisions can come right into your house and cause heartache within family units. This whole idea that that kind of thing can go on where it's going to, and they're, they're very stark and powerful words. Jesus is talking about how these divisions can go right into that place. And we think about famous examples of that through history, right? I think maybe the most famous one I think about is St. Francis, because St. Francis experienced God's love and call in his life, and his rich father was saying, no, like, what's going on with you? You're, you're going over the top. And he renounces all the wealth and the power of his family and leaves it all to go live this life of poverty, trying to live out as faithful as he can what he thinks Jesus would have him do and the way Jesus lived. And he still to this day motivates and inspires thousands of people to follow in that exact example. Jesus is saying this, this division is going to come right into families. But I also think with it, Jesus is not saying this is going to happen with every family. I mean, we know that some of the apostles had their spouses with them as they went into ministry. But Jesus is saying it's going to happen. And then he says what I think is basically can be put down as keep your priorities straight. Like even if this division comes into your household, keep your priorities. Keep God first. Lean into that place where you're going to find life and love and mercy and grace and let it flow from that place. Don't let these other things pull you from that. And it's difficult. We know that. Peter, who steps up to be this great leader in the church, is going to be the one who is going to deny Jesus. Another one of the twelve who interacted with Jesus for three years is going to betray him and Judas. And all of them are going to scatter in the aftermath of the crucifixion. We know it's hard. But Jesus is again saying, as you deal with your fear and these divisions and these things that come home, keep your priorities straight. Hold on to that place. And part of the hard passage that he reads is an echo from the Old Testament. He's reading a passage from Malachi 7, where he's talking about these divisions of the father and the children and all these different things. And I think part of what Jesus is saying in that is, your own tradition. I mean, we got this thing going on now where there's a new way of being God's people, and it's threatening certain people, and it's going to bring division, and it's a new thing. But don't panic by that, because even your own tradition, your own scripture has in Malachi 7, where when God's doing something new, there's going to be this kind of thing. There's going to be resistance, and there's going to be people who don't want to change. There's going to be people that want to hold on to the power the way it was, and it's going to bring division right into the family, and your tradition already predicts this and says this, so don't panic, and don't be fearful, and hold on to that, right? Lots of things that he says, and we think about what Jesus says to us. He's telling the twelve, and he's telling each of us, that when we lean into our faith and we let the gospel take us to the deepest levels, we're going to experience persecution. Maybe physically, certainly emotionally. We're going to face resistance. We're going to face people that are going to look down on us. They're going to say, what are you doing? Like, why don't you get in line with the rest of us? 
And into that, Jesus is going to tell us, proclaim it. Put it out there. Light into the darkness. Let it be. It's our best tool against what's going on with all of that. He's going to remind us to hold proper perspective, that He's the one whom we should fear. He's the one that holds our souls, but He holds it with love and mercy from that place. He's the one who reminds us of that, and He reminds us to keep our priorities. We live in an age where, I mean, a day and a time where I think these are words that speak to us. I know they certainly speak to me, because as we deal with all this, we know all the things going on in our world today, we're reminded that as we lean fully into the gospel, it will challenge us on the inside, maybe to face the own resistance and the own things that push back against us within us, but certainly within our society as we lean into the gospel. And when Jesus says these words about whatever that we're to proclaim things from the mountaintop, that we're to put things out there, that we're to whatever said in private, say from the rooftops and all of this. He, in essence, to me, is saying this in the context of dealing with our fear, that when we talk about the good news of the gospel going to all these places and people that need it so badly, when we talk about the good news going to the marginalized, before that happens, before the good news goes to the poor, before the good news goes to those in prison, before the good news goes to those who feel downtrodden by society, before it goes to the, the good news goes to those who don't feel equal, all of that, there's actually a bad news that goes to those who are in authority using evil for their own means, or people who are using evil to try to hold on to the power that they have in this world. It's bad news for them. And Jesus, I think, tells us, don't be afraid. Push in to the gospel farther than we can handle, and ask the really hard questions about how we're living this. And for us, I think it asks questions of ourselves. It makes us confront the fear that we have within us. It it calls us as individuals to do that, and I think it calls us as a church to do that. Where have we been complicit in that? John Wesley, again, on on the final passage where, where Jesus, you know, ends our whole passage today with this great um, caution and this great promise, because he says, look, those who are not worthy are the ones who are not willing to pick up their cross. And he goes on to say, but if you lose your life, you'll find it. When John Wesley was writing about this passage, he says, when you say those who are not willing to pick up their cross, he says it's the people who resort to evil to get what they want, and it's the people who forego some good to which they're called to for what they're doing. And I think part of our question is what evil are we partaking in through our explicit actions or through the way we're complicit? And what good are we foregoing? Maybe because we're afraid or whatever it is. What is it that we can do this week to present the gospel more fully into the darkness of the world? Let us hear Jesus' words, be not afraid. 
Help us lean into life and love and mercy and grace and the fullness of the gospel and the brokenness of our world. Amen.